The Pre-Paces podcast is brought to you by two brilliant sponsors. Paces Ahead is a fantastic four-day face-to-face paces course run in Brentford, London. They bring you a whole host of patients with fascinating stories and reliable signs, and these patients are absolutely delighted to allow you to hone your exam skills prior to exam day. Some of the patients actually are used in the exams themselves, and the next courses are running from the 20th to the 23rd of May, and then I will be helping out on the course running on the 28th to the 31st of May. Please do come and say hello. I'd love to have a chat and hopefully help you on your way to passing your paces. But if you can't make the course for whatever reason, our other sponsor, Pass Test, has got you covered with their market-leading online revision resource. There are tons of videos which help you revise from the comfort of your own home. And most listeners that I've spoken to have said this is equally essential for your paces success. But that's enough for me for now. Let's get into this week's episode of the Pre-Paces Podcast. Welcome back team to this episode of the Pre-Paces Podcast with me, Dr. Sam Williams. This episode, we take a deep dive into myotonic dystrophy and it was brilliant to bring aboard neurology registrar, Dr. Tom Minton, a good friend of mine who is also as clever as they come when it comes to the MRCP and neurology in general. Tom and I recorded this one evening after work and just in case you're wondering about why Tom occasionally speaks quite quietly in the episode, he had just put his little ones to bed and obviously didn't want to wake them during the podcast recording. As ever, we are so grateful for all of you who like the podcast and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Spotify, Apple, Google, or anywhere else. Get involved with the conversation on our Twitter, at Prepaces Podcast. And lastly, I have to give a shout out to someone who went above and beyond and donated on our Buy Me A Coffee page. We owe a huge thank you to Anna, who said... Thank you for giving up your time to create informative, high quality and entertaining podcasts that are useful for both exams and real life practice. They are truly excellent and whilst revising for paces is definitely not a high point of my life, I'm glad to have found your podcast. Well Anna, thank you for your support, we really appreciate it and hope to be able to bring you more episodes to help more people pass the MRCP paces. So without further ado, let's get into this episode of the Pre-Paces Podcast. Welcome to the Pre-Paces Podcast with me, Dr. Sam Williams, and this week we are covering another curveball in paces. This is a topic which might not come up quite so often, but when it does, knowing the correct process to go through is of paramount importance to succeed in this station. And We are tackling the topic of myotonic dystrophy. Joining us to navigate this treacherous topic is another one of our neurology registrar friends, Dr. Tom Minton. Tom is currently undertaking a PhD in biomarkers of oxidative stress in multiple sclerosis, whilst also unfortunately a victim of partial ptosis and frontal balding. Tom is willing to overcome his challenges and discuss myotonic dystrophy for us today. So Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. And not only is Tom going to be helping us with myotonic dystrophy, but he will also be facing our regular feature of reg against the machine. 
This is the quiz where our registrar colleagues face a quiz which is generated by a machine that I've spaffed my study budget on. More on that at the end of the show. But for now, let's jump into this episode, Myotonic Dystrophy. So, Tom, just to start off, some of our listeners might not even have heard of myotonic dystrophy before they start thinking about their paces of vision. So what exactly is myotonic dystrophy? Very good question to start on, Sam. Um, myotonic dystrophy is an autosomal dominant multi-system disorder. It's generally characterized by presence of progressive muscle weakness, myotonia, and early onset cataracts. But it also encompasses a whole array of different systems, including cardiovascular systems, uh, endocrine systems, as well as cognitive impairment as well. So it's a large disorder, but mainly affects uh, muscles in in terms of weakness and um, myotonia. Um, It's a genetic condition, an autosomal dominant genetic condition that is has two types, basically. So you've got type one, which is the, the most common type that you'll see, and type two. And type one uh, is caused by um, an unstable uh, expansile trinucleoid repeat of the CTG of the DMPK gene on the long arm of chromosome 19. As, a, as an autosomal condition, it demonstrates anticip- anticipation, which basically is the occurrence of increase in disease severity and decreasing age of onset in successive generations. And then you've got myotonic dystrophy type 2, which presents reasonably similarly, but there are some um, individual characteristics which are different to um, myotonic dystrophy type 1. And type 2 is caused by um, a tetranucleotide uh, repeat uh, expansion on the ZF, uh, um, ZNFP9 gene on chromosome 3. And that doesn't show as much uh, anticipation. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. We can then move on to the clinical features if you like. So, Tom, when we talk about the myotonia associated with this condition, what, what exactly do we mean when something is myotonic? Basically, it's the inability of um, a contracted muscle to relax. And it's basically that simple. So patients will often describe, particularly if they're cold or in stressful situations, even that when they grab things or hold things, they have different difficulty relaxing those muscles. Or sometimes they'll close their eyes and they'll have difficulty opening their eyes. So it's just a difficulty in the muscle, uh, contracted muscle and relaxing. Yeah, fantastic. And one of the questions which we tend to uh, talk about at the start of our episodes is how might this condition be presented in a pacer style scenario? Now, in this situation, it, it, it's possible this could come up in a station three, which is our pure examination station in a neurology examination. It's also possible this could come up as either a, uh, a limb examination or possibly even a cranial nerve examination. Historically, when station five was more of what we would call a spot diagnosis station, these patients would be used because they've got quite a characteristic uh, appearance. And it's one of those appearances which you might be expected to recognize sort of in the first few seconds with, as soon as you enter the station. So, Tom, with that in mind, if we're putting our feet in the shoes of candidates sitting paces at the moment, what sort of features might you expect them to spot in a patient within the first couple of moments when they enter the room, which might tip them off that a patient has myotonic dystrophy? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Sam. Um, when it comes to the neurological station uh, in PACE, it's, it's, it's a different station um, to some of the other examination stations in the sense that you've only got um, eight minutes to get um, as much information as you can 
and even the best neurologists in the world will struggle to do a full thorough neurological examination in eight minutes it's actually even less than that it's six minutes for the full examination six minutes there you go so even harder so you need to get as much information as you can or as much uh, in the way of clues as you can early on which will direct you down the right path so one example is parkinson's disease you see a patient in the neurological station get them up and walk in and if you know they've got the characteristic parkinsonian gait you can go straight down the parkinson's disease route and show what you know about parkinson's disease and it's fairly similar in, in myotonic dystrophy if you can get uh, as much information as you can early on then you can start demonstrating what you know about this condition and certain parts of the examination which you can show and demonstrate so uh, when you walk into the room and you're asked about, you may get asked if a patient who's got progressive weakness or a family history of weakness, as you say. Um, the characteristic sort of features of, of, of myotonic dystrophy uh, on first um, examination at the end of the bed would be frontal balding. Um, that's very, very common. Um, you'll often see bilateral ptosis. It tends to be a very mild ptosis, but it is there. And they may have difficulty sort of looking up when they're talking to you. Temporalis uh, and um, uh, master facial muscle weakness, which tend to, tends to give them this what we call a myopathic uh, facial features. And um, it's very difficult to convey, I guess, over a podcast, but um, the, only, the only real way of seeing what a myopathic face looks like is to, A, you can, suppose you can look on pictures on the internet, or you can, you can try and find um, a muscle clinic in, in your near, nearest hospital and try and get to, to see patients like that. That's the only sort of real way you can get a feel for these things. Um, other things you could notice looking around the bed, obviously mobility aids, uh, visual aids. Um, so you may see um, uh, things like a CPAP machine uh, around the side of the bed, which point towards a respiratory muscle weakness. So those are simple things you can see right from the offset that, that will point you down the road of um, myotonic dystrophy. Brilliant. In my... Uh... Pace's revision experience, I was lucky enough to come across one patient with myotonic dystrophy. And that was purely because a particularly keen teacher had signposted us to this patient. And one thing that I had noticed about the the ptosis, like you said, it's quite mild, but the, the sort of slightly odd thing, which I found in speaking to this patient was that they sort of tilted their neck backwards when they're, when they're talking to you, because they, they can't quite see Absolutely, you because yeah. of the ptosis. That's right, yeah. And so moving on, let's say we as the candidate are approaching a station looking at um, the looking at the patient from a cranial nerve perspective. We've already talked about the ptosis, so we can talk about the ptosis bit if you can, Tom, and, and what other important things would be important to look for in a, in a cranial nerve examination of these patients? Yeah, so with regards to the ptosis, as you mentioned, it's generally um, a fairly mild ptosis. It would be bilateral and symmetrical. So if you get someone who's got a unilateral ptosis, perhaps looking at some, another diagnosis, whether it's um, a third nerve palsy or um, another myasthenia gravis or something like that. In, in, in myotonic dystrophy, they tend to be um, a bilateral ptosis. Um, and um, you, can, you can also look at sort of eye movements as well. So generally, um, don't tend to get um, ophthalmoplegia in uh, myotonic dystrophy. You can get it, it is reported, but it's, it's rare. Um, so if you do get someone who's got ptosis and an ophthalmoplegia, then you're looking at, again, things like myasthenia gravis. Moving on to other things in the cranial nerve examination in myotonic dystrophy, um, we've already mentioned some of the sort of facial muscle weakness. So again, it tends to be bilateral. Um, sort of, um, you can test jaw strength, you can test um, uh, the muscles of mastication, and uh, you can also look for wasting and atrophy or sort of uh, um, temporalis muscle 
um, which is very, very common uh, in these patients. Um, you may get neck flexion weakness. You may get weakness of uh, sternocleidomastoids. And uh, you can also look for actual eyelid myotonia. That's another sign you can look for in, the, in patients with myotonic dystrophy. And the way to do that is just to get a patient to close their eyes really, really tight uh, for around five seconds and ask them to try and open them. And they'll have great difficulty uh, opening their eyes um, after that. Um, you can also assess the patient's speech. Uh, patients with um, myotonic dystrophy will often be quite dysarthric because of the sort of uh, the facial muscle weakness. And, and that's generally about it. You're not really going to see a lot in terms of uh, cranial nerve signs, um, specific cranial nerve signs anyway, in patients with uh, with myotonic dystrophy. Just to add one thing in there, Tom, something you mentioned at the top of the show, which was that they have a predisposition for cataract formation as well. Yes, that's absolutely right. Yeah, Cataracts or early onset cataracts before the age of 50 are, are um, one of the characteristic features of myotonic dystrophy. Um, and uh, from the onset, um, you can, with fundoscopy, um, use an ophthalmoscope uh, and adjust, um, assess for cataracts uh, in that way. You can also assess um, visual acuity as well. Um, so obviously, if they've got impaired vision, then they will have reduced visual acuity. Yeah. And this is probably one of the situations in paces where actually the examiners probably would expect you to perform a full fundoscopic examination. It's probably not going to be one of those where you sort of hesitantly reach for the fundoscope and then hope that they wave you down and then you you feel like you've got your get out of jail free card. You know, this is something where actually detecting the cataract is a pertinent clinical sign to detect. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's more or less covered a cranial nerve examination. If we move on now to a slightly different scenario where you might be asked to examine the limbs. Now, in my view, this is probably the more the more likely scenario with it being a, a muscular condition. You're going to want to focus on the muscular components of, of a neurological examination, such as power. And typically there aren't any sensory deficits. Um, but with this in mind, if, if you're already suspecting a diagnosis, one tactic which I would always recommend is that if you see those signs which we discussed at the start, the frontal balding, the partial ptosis, always think about if it's a muscular problem, leave your sensation to the end of the examination. Going on from there, Tom, what are the candidates likely to find if they go through a peripheral nerve examination of these patients' limbs? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Sam. As you said, about if you see the features that you think are uh, the classical features of, of myotonic dystrophy, go straight for the part of the examination that's going to give you the most information. And that's going to be examining power of the limbs and also looking for evidence of, um, of myotonia. You can start with tone, if you like. It's probably not going to give you that much information. Sometimes you do get reduced tone uh, in these patients, um, but you shouldn't see increased tone in these patients. And then moving on to power, um, in myotonic dystrophy, you tend to get um, distal weakness particularly in the, um, in the finger flexors and also in the lower limbs tend to get sort of um, foot drop. Um, whereas actually um, it, can, it can affect any muscle, but generally affects my, in terms of myotonic dystrophy type one, the distal muscles. And this is where we go into uh, a little bit into uh, myotonic dystrophy type two. If you're very, very clever, myotonic dystrophy two, type two tends to give you more proximal weakness. But either way, um, as long as you're able to demonstrate weakness in the limbs, um, uh, you can then move on to perhaps demonstrating um, myotonia. Uh, and the way 
to demonstrate myotonia in the um, in the limbs is, is first of all to ask to ask the patient to grip your fingers as hard as they can for around five seconds and then ask them to release it. And again, much like with, with the um, eyelid myotonia, you'll have difficulty relaxing the grip on your hands. As well as that, you can try uh, percussion uh, myotonia and you just get a tendon hammer uh, and just percuss uh, the CNR eminence and you'll see uh, myotonia uh, affecting the um, uh, CNR eminence. And you can also do it in some of the extensive muscles of the forearm as well. So yeah, so the main things you're going to look for are weakness, particularly in a distal pattern in, in myotonic dystrophy type 1, which is what you're most likely to see, and then myotonia. In terms of reflexes, again, probably not going to give you much um, information. If anything, they're likely to be a little bit reduced or absent uh, in myotonic dystrophy. With, with that in mind, if you think this is myotonic dystrophy, you're not going to get much information from the sensory examination, and you're not going to get much information from examining um, coordination. Um, but you can always suggest that um, you would examine those in full and maybe the examiner can lead you with that. That's about it really in terms of, of um, examination of limbs in myotonic dystrophy. Fantastic. What a brilliant little wrestle through every every pertinent finding you might find in a, uh, in a peripheral nerve examination of these patients. I would always advise in terms of being complete, you should always perform a, uh, a rapid um, assessment of sensation to ensure that you're conducting the full examination. But if you get through the whole examination in less than six minutes, there are some extras that you can look for. And if you've got through the examination in good time, just demonstrating your knowledge of this condition by looking for these associated findings can really set you apart from you know, an average performer in the exam to you know, a real um, high flyer. So, so Tom, what extra parts of the examination can the candidates perform to really solidify their suspected diagnosis of myotonic dystrophy? That's right. So as I mentioned earlier on, in the in 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 uh, the podcast, it's a multi-system disorder. While it mostly affects muscles, it can affect um, a whole host of different systems. One of the most frequently encountered uh, is um, the heart. It can affect the heart in a number of ways, uh, mainly causing uh, conduction abnormalities. Uh, so it'd be always good to do a pulse check, um, checking for uh, rate and rhythm. And you always suggest to the examiner that you'd like to do um, an ECG. Looking for endocrine problems, so um, it'd be worthwhile testing for things like, or you know, looking for things like um, diabetic fingerprint marks. Um, you can check the chest for gynecomastia. Um, you can also um, suggest to the examiner for um, testicular atrophy in males. Yeah, that's about it, I think. Um, other things, scars, you can look for um, permanent pacemaker. Uh, insertion. Uh, so patients with um, cardiac arrhythmias in, in myotonic dystrophy will also have a, an ICD inserted. Um, so it'd be worthwhile uh, checking for those types of scars as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as, as Tom said, there's so many different things which you could look for at the end of your examination to really set yourself apart from, from the average performer looking for these extra signs of myotonic dystrophy. When you come to the end of your examination, you're going to be asked to present your differential diagnosis to your examiners. Obviously, Tom, it depends on the exact findings that the candidates find in any given station. But what possible differential diagnosis could they mention which might mimic myotonic dystrophy? When it comes to ptosis, um, you've got a whole array of different things that can cause a ptosis. You've already mentioned myasthenia gravis several times. If they've got ophthalmoplegia or any pupillary changes, you can say 
you know, um, third nerve uh, palsy if it's unilateral. Um, Horner syndrome, um, that could do it. Moving on to sort of other differential causes of, of myotonia, you get myotonia congenita. You can also get um, paramyotonia congenita. And other things that may uh, cause um, a similar type um, picture would be um, hypokalemic periodic para, um, paralysis, but then you, you, you won't get any of the other features of myotonic dystrophy uh, in those conditions. Other muscular dystrophies you could bring into the um, equation, Becker's, Duchenne, I guess, if they're a lot younger, but, but again, you probably won't see any other uh, of the of the features you see in myotonic dystrophy, and well, you won't see any of the features in my, that you have in myotonic dystrophy in those patients. So yeah, you've mentioned a few different things there. So obviously, myotonic dystrophy is going to be your number one. Patients with ptosis, yep. myasthenia gravis, Horner syndrome, probably a third yep. nerve palsy. And then many, many more of the rarer muscular dystrophies. So, yeah, the rare, the rare muscular dystrophies, yeah, sort of um, fascia scapula, humeral, muscular dystrophy, um, Kern-Sayers syndrome, very rare. Uh, we get um, it's a mitochondrial disorder characterised by bilateral ophthalmoplegia, retinitis pigmentosa, and other things like uh, oculopharyngeal muscular dystrophy as well. And then moving on to the investigations and um you're going to be expected to talk about managing the condition itself. So testing for the condition and then also investigating the possible complications. So in terms of trying to diagnose the condition itself, Tom, how, how is that done? Um, so the gold standard um, for uh, uh, diagnosis is uh, genetic testing. And that's done um, via blood. So DNA testing on um, leukocytes, that's the gold standard now, um, if you've got a patient who has a family history of myotonic dystrophy, then you can go straight to that. Or you don't even have to do that. If you've got um, a, hist- a family history and the very clear signs of myotonic dystrophy, then probably don't even have to do genetic testing if, if it's not necessary. If you've got someone who doesn't have a family history, patients, you can perform neurophysiological testing, including EMG. You'll often get myopathic discharges on, on EMG which um, uh, give you the classical um, sound of an EMG of, of a motorbike or um, a dive bomber, where you get a variation in frequency and amplitude of myopathic discharges causing this um, almost like a helicopter sound on, um, on EMG of the um, speaker. You can uh, see slightly elevated um, uh, creatinine kinase. It's generally uh, around 500, not, not more. Some patients will undergo muscle biopsy, but that's only generally in patients where um, the diagnosis is unclear. If you've got someone who you suspect of having myotonic dystrophy, you'd go straight to genetic testing over rather an invasive test like that. That's about it, really. And then it's about looking for some of the other things associated with the condition. So we've already mentioned the cardiovascular um, complications in myotonic dystrophy. So you'd be asking for um, ECG, uh, echocardiogram. Um, and um, patients with uh, myotonic dystrophy will often suffer with um, obstructive sleep apnea. So it's always worth getting, at the very least, overnight pulse oximetry, plus or minus um, uh, polysomnography. I think that's about it. <laughs> yeah, you, you, we've already we've already talked about diabetes and, and checking. Uh, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fasting um, glucose so, uh, and HDA yeah, so all of the endocrine 
uh, disorders affected um, by in, in in motor dystrophy. So you test thyroid function, um, you test for uh, diabetes. Uh, females, you test FSH and LH, and um, you also do testosterone things like that in males. Brilliant. And then moving on to the management of these patients, and I guess the first thing to say, Tom, would be that you know there's no curative treatment, and it's about managing the complications of the condition and the effect of the condition on, on the patient. You're absolutely right. Um, uh, as with a lot of <laughs> neurological conditions, we've got um, no cure as it stands, but uh, the management is uh, very much uh, a multidisciplinary process. You know, uh, as we said, it can affect a whole array of different systems. So um, it's a case of uh, having an annual review uh, and looking at um, uh, testing uh, visual function, um, stit lamp, and um, visual acuity. And if there are any signs of deterioration, any signs of any signs of um, cataracts, a referral to ophthalmology. We talked about the cardiology, uh, cardiological um, uh, complications in, in this disorder. So if you've got any signs of uh, heart block on ECG, or um, you can screen the patient for signs of uh, syncope, uh, palpitations, any of those features, you refer straight to cardiology. Again, obstructive sleep apnea, uh, referring to um, uh, the respiratory team if, if, if necessary, and likewise endocrinology uh, if there are any um, endocrinological features. You want, with regards to sort of dysarthria and dysphagia that you often get in these patients, particularly at later stage, you want to be involved in uh, speech and language team dietitians, particularly if you are considering things like enteral feeding. It's always worth getting an opinion of those teams. Physiotherapy. Key in these patients, as well as that um, occupational therapy to help with uh, orthotics and things that you know assistance at home. It's important to offer genetic counselling to these patients. Um, it's an autosomal dominant condition, so there's a fifty percent chance of of uh, inheritance in, in this condition. So it's always uh, important to offer that to patients, even if they don't want to have it. And then going towards um, the latter stages of the disorder, sort of end of life care. Uh, the medium age of death in patients with myotonic dystrophy is around the mid-50s. So if you get end-stage myotonic dystrophy, it's really important to involve palliative care um, as early as possible. Other things, medical management, there's not much in the way of medical management. You can have um, uh, sodium channel blockers in the, in the form of um, uh, mixilatine, which help with myotonia. And other things like uh, phenytoin and carbamazepine have been used, but um uh, is the one that's generally used the most so yeah that's about it i think that's everything <laughs> yeah brilliant and again if if you're getting towards that part of the presentation when you're having to you know speak about possible possible use of mexilatine for myotonia you know you you're probably um <laughs> you've probably answered the majority of the hard questions along the way <laughs> As well as mentioning all of those things, obviously we mentioned about an MDT approach, but as Tom's already said, you know, you're going to be treating the complications as they arise. So if they have symptomatic complete heart block, they're going to need a pacemaker. They're going to need diabetic input from the endocrinology team. They may need uh, sleep studies from the uh, respiratory and sleep team. So involving those specialties as and when required. Yeah, that's right. Right. Well, that brings us to the end of our chat about myotonic dystrophy, but it is not quite the end of the podcast as Tom now has to face our regular feature, which is Reg Against the Machine. The best podcast.
feature that's ever been seen. It's Reg Against the Machine. Welcome to Reg Against the Machine, the quiz where our registrar guests take on a quiz on a random topic which is decided by a machine that I've spaffed my study budget on. So Tom, the choice of topics is completely random, but you'll obviously have some multiple choice uh, options to help along the way. In uh, a blue sky thinking sort of world, what sort of topic would really be ideal for you? Um, uh, ideally, anything involved in Premier League football. That's about it. <laughs> I, I listened to um, Anna Francis's uh, podcast uh, a couple of weeks back, and one of her questions was, uh, what are the colours on the French flag? So anything along that sort of level, perfect for me, I think. <laughs> perfect. Well, we can't promise anything here on the podcast so let's crank the handle of our machine and see what it spits out for you so tom the topic the machine has spat out for you is whales how do you feel how do you feel about that i feel elated with that st david's day as well It's St. Tuesday Day and Pancake Day, so I've had pancakes and Welsh cakes. (laughs) Fantastic. So this is how we play. There are 10 questions. If you get the answer to the question without the multiple choice options, you get two points. If you need a bit of help and you need the multiple choice options, it's just one point. Okay. Okay. All right, Tom, let's get cracking on your quiz for Reg Against the Machine with questions on whales. Okay. Orcinus orca is the Latin name for a whale, which is more commonly known as what? Oh, you've gone the wrong. It's, it's about. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's a killer whale. Um, Correct. <laughs> for two Fantastic. points. Right. Okay. So we're about the mammals rather actually, than. The I actually. <laughs> I, I said the topic was Wales, and I did put that first question in for a joke. So the, that's the only question you'll have on the mammal of whales. Don't worry. But you got the, the first one correct for two points. So it is a killer whale. Orcanus orca is the Latin name for the for the killer whale. Correct. Okay, question number two. And this is where things get slightly easier. So question number two. What animal is featured on the Welsh flag? It's a dragon. Red one. Correct. For another two points. Question number three. And... You've already answered this question. Which day of the year is St. David's Day usually celebrated? Today, 1st of March. It is. It's the 1st of yeah. March. Yeah. Listeners, a little peek behind uh, the magician's cloth that we're actually recording this on the 1st of March. Obviously, this will go out uh, a little bit later. But yeah, 1st of March is correct for another two points. Getting slightly harder now. Okay. Question number four. How many cities are there in Wales? Oh, Okay, this is a tricky one because uh, so there's Cardiff, Swansea, Newport, St David's. Uh, I'm going to go with four officially. It's not four. Would you like the multiple choice options? Yes, please. <laughs> That's your first and only mulligan. Your multiple choice options are: are there four, six, eight, or ten? It's going to be six. I think Banger is the other one. I was never sure. And oh, think of another cathedral. St. Asaph, is it? Oh, absolutely correct. And then the next question is actually referencing these cities. So this is question number five. Yeah. Which city in Wales is also the smallest city in the whole of the UK? 
St. David's. And that is correct. And <laughs> this little place in Pembrokeshire has a population of less than 2,000 people. It's beautiful if you ever get a chance to go. I've not gone, but I'll go yeah. after this quiz. Okay, moving on to question number six. Which actor, who originally hails from Portalbert, won an Oscar for his portrayal of serial killer Hannibal Lecter in The Silence of the Lambs? Uh, it's going to come to me. <laughs> you can take the multiple choice options. <sighs> Give them to me, please. This is embarrassing. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins. Ah, uh, correct. Yes. <laughs> Pulled out of the bag for two points. <laughs> Question number seven now. Now, one of your questions was talking about Premier League football. Now, this is a slightly uh, slightly off the beaten track of Premier League football, but there are five football teams in Wales that play their matches in the English football leagues. And I've included non-league in this as well. I'll give you I'll give you one point if you can name three of them, but I'll need you to name all five for two points. Oh, that's going to be hard. So I know, obviously, Cardiff City, Swansea City, um, Newport County. That's one point. These two are non-league teams where yeah. it gets more difficult. Where are the other teams? It's going to be on the borders, isn't it? Um, tell me. Okay. It's Wrexham and... Of course, it's Wrexham, yeah. Wrexham recently bought up by no uh, Ryan Reynolds, no less. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the other one, Merthyr Town. Oh, of course, yeah. Who uh, who ply their trade, I believe, in the Southern League Premier Division. <laughs> Question number eight: We all know that Welsh rarebit is the national meal of Wales, but according to BBC Good Food, there are eight ingredients in Welsh rarebit. For the two points, I want six ingredients, or I'll take four ingredients for one point okay so obviously cheese which probably going to be carefully cheese isn't it well i'll, uh, I'll take I'll, cheddar. I'll take cheese cheese yeah uh obviously bread toast yeah um and then you make you make a bechamel so flour flour correct but uh mustard uh and that's all i know Oh, <laughs> this is according, by the way, to BBC Good Food. Okay. So, you, so far, you've got five. Okay. Or at least five in this in, in this in this <laughs> meal in particular. I'm sure others will have other recipes of making Welsh rabbit, but the ones which uh, which are on here are brown ale. Okay. Uh, mustard powder. You you mentioned mustard. Worcestershire sauce and chives. Ah, yeah, Worcestershire sauce, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, five five out of six ain't bad. And you got you got the one point, so that's okay. Question number nine. Wales has a population of approximately 3.1 million people. But to the nearest 500,000, how many sheep are there in Wales? <laughs> oh. uh, this is from wales.com. Couldn't be a more reputable source. It's, some, it's going to be ridiculous, isn't it? I know New Zealand's got about 30 million sheep. <laughs> I don't know how many, many whales have got them. Uh, okay. 
smaller than New Zealand. Let's go 15 million. <laughs> oh, it's close. It's not. It's close. It's 10 million. <laughs> 10 million sheep. So nearly three times as many sheep as there are people in Wales. <laughs> I thought I'd finish with a with a generous one for you, Tom, which I'm sure you'll you'll know the answer to. So, yeah. according to Wikipedia, who is the footballer who has most caps for the Wales national team? Oh, it's going to be it's Chris Gunter, isn't it? Absolutely correct. Yeah. It is Chris Gunter. And that yeah. gives you a score. I think it's 15 out of 20. A respectable score. Uh, how much did Anna get? <laughs> I can't remember how much Anna got, actually. As long as it'll be Anna, I don't care. <laughs> we'll have to uh, we'll have to go back and listen to that one. And uh, it just goes to show you can take the man out of Wales, but you can't take the whales out of the man. <laughs> thank you very much, Sam. Appreciate it. Tom, that only leaves us to say a huge thank you to you for taking some time out of your busy schedule and uh, speaking to us about the paces curveball of myotonic dystrophy. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Good luck, everyone. So, listeners, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Pre-Paces podcast. And don't forget to like, follow and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Pre-Paces podcast. If you really want to go above and beyond and support the show, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash Pre-Paces podcast. But for now, we are just about out of time. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time on the Pre-Paces podcast. <laughs>